Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 159. I am your host, Mark Shapiro, and my guest in episode 159 is Dr. Alex Anderson. And Alex is an anesthesiologist. She has a specialty in liver transplant anesthesia. She's on the show today. We we get into some of the issues around complex anesthesia, but more than that, the reason that Alex is here is we get into what she does so well, which is reflect and share on social media in a way that brings us into learning about the inner voices that we all deal with. And she reflects on this on her Twitter feed, and she reflects specifically on this issue in this episode. And it's really compelling. It's an issue that we all struggle with when our mind is telling us things, when our brain is telling us things. How do we handle them? How do we cope with them? It was just fascinating to speak with her. And it's a really resonant topic because when these when these struggles that we go through when our brain is telling us things, it's a real challenge. It can be a real barrier and to work together to unlock some of that is really valuable stuff. And it was a lot of fun to speak with her. Before we get to the episode, just want to invite everyone to please subscribe to Explore the Space on iTunes or wherever you like to download and listen to your podcast. If you have the opportunity to give us a rating and a review, that really helps the show out. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can follow me on social media. I'm very active on Twitter at ETS Show, as well as Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And I just want to reflect a little bit too before we get to the episode. Thanksgiving is coming up. It's my favorite holiday. I've always loved it. For me, it's a very meaningful time of year, and I just want to share with all of you, all of the people who listen to the podcast, the guests that I've had on the show, people that help promote the show, people that follow along, people that engage with the content, and those of you who maybe are checking it out for the first time, I'm grateful to all of you. It's it's an incredible experience to be doing Explore the Space, and I'm really thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for the community that we're building, and I wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. So without further ado, Alex Anderson. Alex, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you. This is great to have you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Oh, so have I. Why do you think you're on the show? Um, I think I live in the space, yeah. as I know it to be described by you. I kind of live uh, between life and medicine and just trying to figure out how to toggle between the two or maybe that it's just good where we are. I think you put that brilliantly. I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that's why people were reaching out to me to say, would you please have Alex on the show? I've been getting those requests for months. And I think that you're exactly right, that there is something about the voice that you use and share, mostly on social media. You and I've never met in person. I didn't know if you lived in New York or in Minnesota until we started this conversation. <laughs> um, yes, I we, we We have this sort of desire and need for that voice that you share so much on social media. So let's, let's back up five years ago, let's say three years ago, two years ago, Mm -hmm. were you in this place of being this voice, this personality on social media? On social media? No, but I think in, in my real life, for sure. I've, I've always felt like I was in the interstitial space in real life, which has been both bad and good. 
And then I, I will say when I was on social media a long time ago, I had a friend who I kind of met on social media, then met in real life. And they said, oh, you're exactly like you are online. So I, Interesting. <laughs> so there was, there was a validation there. Yes, yes. And that's, that's a hard art to pull off, to be the same person when you're active and vocal on social media as you are at the dinner table. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but only if you're pretending to be somebody you're not, or, you know, or trying to keep up a facade. And I've always been like pretty bad at that. So. so that's an important point. And I think that's actually a really nice place for us to start with, which is this idea of cultivating a personality or a brand on social media versus being in this space as more of an authentic representation of yourself. Mm-hmm. Is there a tension there? A little bit. I, I Just because, you know, everyone has stereotypes of what everyone should be, whether it be a doctor, a woman, a mom. Um, and then, you know, I know a lot of people talk about stereotype threat. I don't necessarily feel threatened walking into a room, uh, uh, assuming people will have this stereotype of me and it will affect my performance. Um, I mean, sometimes, sure. But on social media, it's more that I worry I will offend someone or hurt someone's feelings or make someone think I don't care about something I do care about. Or I'm, I'm always nervous that I won't act like a doctor. And, or, or even worse, if someone comes after me for being a, a bad mom or something. So I, I, I think I struggle with feeling nervous that I'm don't have a good voice as a doctor and that I don't have a good voice as a person. So that I'm just kind of in this weird space in between. So it must be odd then when you say that there's those tensions that arise as a doctor, as a woman and as a mom, you're all of those things that people are telling you that not only are you good at those things, but they want to hear more from you. Yeah, I think that's where the real tension is. <laughs> I mean, you get pinged like, by random podcast guys to say, "Hey, oh, come on my show." I don't think you really want to hear from me, or I don't want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, no, I think that's where the tension is in in any respect. I just don't want to let anybody down. Not to say that you know people need so much from me and depend on me, but it's more like I think, like a lot of us, I'm just a people pleaser. I want to be liked. I want to be understood, and I want to understand people. And that's where tension comes up for me on social media. And if, if I do feel misunderstood or, or like I did something wrong, then I get really scared and retreat. Do you feel like you are executing on that charge? You've set a really high standard for yourself and you describe that standard very vividly when you're on social media. And I will say when we're talking mm-hmm. about social media, at least my experience in mm-hmm. your work is mostly on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like part of your success and part of the appeal is that what you just described to me, you are also very comfortable putting forward as you are sharing tweets that are going viral. I, I just think I'm pretty comfortable sharing things about myself as long as they're safe things. Um, I do keep some things, you know, quiet and I have been attacked for not even, I wouldn't even say it's a very feminist tweet or things that I say, then I get attacked. And while I do really stand for these things, I I think a lot of us have learned it's just not worth fighting on Twitter. So like you don't win 
you just don't win. So I, I, I backed off from doing anything that will provoke a certain group or uh, genre of people because I just don't want to fight or, or like many people have advised you just mute or block. Right. And I haven't had to do it that much, honestly. You write things that I think for me at least resonate because you openly share what I kind of think about as the inner voice that we probably all have. I have it that Hmm. criticizes that says, don't do this. That says you're not good at something or that says, Hey, well done. Take some credit Mm -hmm. and now go work harder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't share that on social media. I don't, I don't, I have a hard time recognizing that I do it just on my own. And you have in, you know, 280 characters pretty reliably figured out a way to convey that. What is that process like? Oh my gosh, that's a really nice thing to say. I'm just going to take that in for a second because that's really kind. I think for me and for all of us, we're all battling our demons all the time. Big ones or little ones. Um, You know, I try not to judge mine compared to others because I have a pretty good set of demons, relatively speaking. But you can either shove them in a closet or you just bring them out. They're my friends now. (laughs) I don't don't know if that sounds really weird, but, um, you know, I watched a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like you you get a little friendly camaraderie with these like frenemies, demons, you know, parts inside of you, uh, like my imposter syndrome or insecurities I have, or, you know, things that have plagued me forever. It's like, well, I'm 41. They're not going away. We might as well just figure out a way to get along. You know, and now we're like coworkers, and so I have no problem speaking f- from those perspectives in a way. Like when I am feeling like I'm judging myself or disappointed in myself, it's very accessible, and I'm very comfortable with it because I know I'm going to come back from it. Or if I'm sad, I know it's temporary. Or if I'm happy, I know that's temporary too. So I, I uh, I'm pretty comfortable you know, being honest with those transient feelings or voices or, yeah, like you said, that inner voice, because I I think now it's kind of all outer for me, I guess. It's interesting that you say you've acknowledged that at this point, you're not going to, I can't remember exactly what you said, but get rid of them or make them go away. So instead, just to sort of taking them on board, and I think I'm paraphrasing you, taking them on board and, and trying to be friends with them. With, mm-hmm. these, with these things, uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting take because I think a lot of people, myself included, would feel like they bang their head against the wall mm-hmm. trying to make the things that make them feel weak, less than, ineffective, whatever the case may be, go away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself perpetuates the cycle. And it's right. exhausting. <laughs> it's right. really, really exhausting. Yeah, you just have to frame shift a little bit and and look at why you're thinking these things and accept it and accept that maybe some of the times that we're really critical of ourselves is is actually productive and you can learn something from it. But when it becomes pathological and it freezes you and it stops you or stops you from learning or makes you scared, then you have to say like, uh, okay, I, I I need to take a, a, a better look at this. There was one thing that you put on social media, it was a while ago, and it brought up something that I'm curious to get your take on because you share all of these things about your life 
in this place of these are the things that I feel like I struggle with. These are the places where I feel insecure. But you had this post where you talked about, I can do all of these things to prepare a patient for liver transplantation, intubation, mm-hmm. placing a cordis, placing the art line, getting the TEE probe ready, doing the T labs, all of these different things <laughs> in less time, I think, than, than you do your sort of nighttime skincare regimen. And that went viral yeah. and it was, but it was also like, there was the tacit acknowledgement that you're a badass anesthesiologist. Was that intentional? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it, it's within all of our capabilities. Um, and, Wait, to do and like what? To do all the things that you do before a liver transplant? No, it's not. I mean, listen, anybody who'd been doing it for as long as I can, or I, I have can. Yeah, because you were selected and do. you practiced and you were trained and you were resilient. That's not for everyone. I'm not a liver transplant anesthesiologist. But then the other thing that's so funny and that I felt like I had to clarify from that tweet is I wasn't saying I was doing all that stuff fast. <laughs> no, I didn't take it that you were doing it fast. I took that you do it well. That it's instinctive yeah, it's and there's muscle memory and you know how to do it and you yeah, have your process yeah. and you lay out your equipment and you do it safely and you do it mm-hmm. accurately and you do it reliably, which is what you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skincare is um, much harder for me to comment on. <laughs> Well, I'm going to start tagging you in all my skincare. Well, that was and, that's know, funny post. that you say that because you had the opportunity, right? We had joked that you were going to be able to detonate my mentions when you tagged me on something about pores. I was like, oh yes. gosh, do it. And I think you forgot. Exactly. But now, you, you well, I have to be really carefully choose choose them. Right. Uh, the ones that'll go really viral about like shoes. <laughs> get you. So the liver um, transplant anesthesiology ones don't necessarily go as viral as the ones about shoes. It's all with different yeah, subsets. I mean, true. I think it was just a, a funny tweet because so many people relate to like, oh my gosh, this ordeal of getting ready for bed and this like, self, when does self-care become a, a nightmare? Like, yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. And I actually did have that thought. I I did a transplant. I went home and I went to bed and I was sitting there like just kind of sitting on the floor in my bathroom and like smearing a moisturizer on my face. I was like, oh, why does this take so long? And I had that thought. <laughs> And then I realized like, wow, maybe I'm really tired and maybe I'm doing these things when I'm really tired and I should go to bed earlier. Um, Obviously I can't when I'm on call and also maybe I'm doing too much, (laughs) too many products. I think it's too many products. (laughs) I think it does speak to how we prioritize though. And when you do this work, nothing is going to get in the way of delivering safe and effective care to your patient. If you're called in the middle of the night for a liver transplant, you're going to be locked in and everything else is going to take, take a back seat. That's just the reality. And I think that probably speaks to how you prioritize things in life, but then you have Mm -hmm. to deal with the, the, the inner voices saying, they don't say to you, great job doing, you know, getting that cortis in great job, navigating intraoperative hypotension and bleeding. They just say, you're not doing a very good job taking care of yourself. Right. Right. I think we all do that to ourselves. You only see the negatives and yeah. I, I, I think we should all do a better job seeing all the things we did right in a day and not just the things you did wrong when you're doing your end of the day debrief with yourself and, and also for other people, you know, with, with your friends or coworkers or partner, you shouldn't just be thinking to yourself all the things that, that they're not doing. It, it, it's hard to stop and notice what everyone's doing right. Do you take time to be intentional about that for yourself to say, here are the things that I did right today? Because I don't do no. that, and it's a really I good idea. Do you don't do that. I don't do that. No. 
I think we should. I think we should too. I think it's a really good uh, idea. Yeah. Instead, I just somehow, I don't know why we all gravitate towards the beating ourselves up end of things. I guess it's a safer way to be in terms of how we interact with the world. I don't know if we went home and were just like, oh, I totally nailed it with everything today and did nothing wrong. I, but there's probably a happy medium. What would it feel like if you did that? If <laughs> tomorrow night after or tomorrow or whenever you're on call or whenever you do a big case, you go home and you just list it out. 25 things that you did well that day what would that experience be like it would be amazing i could totally do that and then my two-year-old would be like i want my dad i don't like my mom <laughs> and then everything would just be decimated <laughs> so, just light the piece of paper on fire yeah yeah last night <laughs> Last night, he hurt his finger, only wants his dad to kiss it. And I say, oh, can I kiss it too? And he looks at me with like <laughs> cold shark eyes and just says, mama, you kiss my foot. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it's, it's very uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. My four-year-old's my complete and total utter hype man. And then my two-year-old's my, my uh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> Come to life always taking me down a peg. So it's a good balance. It is a good balance. So that's, I'm, I'm wondering if that's, I'm just trying to think. Cause I remember I, you were sharing things on Twitter and I would, I remember I replied to you once I said, you're going to have 10,000 followers within the next couple of weeks. And it was no, it, that's not going to happen. And, and within a couple of weeks, I think you had like 30,000 or something. And that it's not the number it's, it speaks to a resonance and it speaks to mm. a desire for a voice to be, it speaks to a desire for a voice to, to be heard. Mm-hmm. Did you expect this to happen? So in the midst of being a liver transplant anesthesiologist at one of the largest centers in the world, mother of two kids, wife, friend, all of those other things that there's now this clamor for you to tweet. Um, I think it's really nice. It's a nice, it's a really nice outlet for me. And, you know, I've had people say, Oh, how do you find the time? And it's, it doesn't take much time. I'm always thinking weird things in my head and it's nice to have a little outlet for them and to share them. Um, like I told my friend once, ah, we all just have this like weird little inner monologues and opinions that never see the light of day. And, and Twitter's kind of like, Hey, if anybody's interested, (laughs) here are the 25 ridiculous thoughts I had today. And, you know, for me, it's sort of like a tweet, like no one's reading. Um, I'd I'd probably think that thought in my head anyway, but Twitter's a better diary or or you can find people to get a little rapport. Um, Like I love joking around with people and going back and forth. And, you know, our lives in medicine are pretty lonely. Um, and life's as parents are pretty lonely because both are all consuming. Um, and when you have two all consuming things and just one life, there's not enough room for a lot of the other stuff. Um, so I really, I'm grateful that I have this chance on Twitter to kind of share these silly things and have these silly moments and be able to connect with people when it's not really possible, given the restraints of all of our schedules and time zones and schedules at home. You said something just a moment ago about having two all consuming things. And I caught that because this is an existential question for you. Mm -hmm. How can somebody have more than one thing that is all consuming? 
I know. I and guess yet, I, I yeah. don't disagree with you. Yeah. Well, I think it's why we're all just black holes. <laughs> <laughs> we're all so tired. <laughs> we're all just negative energy holes because we're, I, I don't know. <laughs> and that's why we need so much. <laughs> we're just sucking it all in. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. That's great. I, I just listened to the book Essentialism. I think a couple people recommended it on Twitter. It's by Greg McEwen, McCown. Um, and it's awesome. I really learned a lot from it. And now I'm, of course, like, I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm going to stop doing everything except for two things that I do really well. But I, I don't, I mean, is that possible? No, but I think thinking about it every day. Is, is possible. So I want to take that voice in my head that tells me to do all of that stuff and then beats mm -hmm. me up when I don't do them. I want to take that voice out for a beer that I want to do yes. what you do with it to just yes. say, hey, you know what? I hear you, man. I got you. And you yep. know what? I'm going to get you drunk mm -hmm. and then I'm going to get to mm -hmm. the real you because you know, that's not going to happen. I know that's not going right. to happen. This is exhausting. Right. I'm 43. Can we, can we stop? <laughs> Yes, and it's going to make everything you do less quality, and right. you'll be less present in it. And I, I, what I liked what this guy kept saying, he said, separating the essential or vital few from the trivial many and yeah. prioritizing. And you know, we all have to do that, um, but to do it to an extreme and to really put value into what you do. And then he said, it's not, it, it's doing less but better and picking a couple things so you can just go all in. And I love that because it still allows for people to be extreme, but just an extreme in one direction instead of a million directions. When you said extreme, it made me think of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> it made me smile. If I can invoke that feeling, I've <laughs> done my work on earth. You got to add that one to your list of the things you did well today because that was awesome. If I can take you to White Castle, I'm doing okay. Yeah, exactly. Then if we're going to do that list, if we're going to go through and, and create the things that we're going to prioritize, and I think it's okay to recognize that we're going to put this up around what's my favorite holiday of the year, which is Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. How would we prioritize the sense that the, the sense of graciousness, gratitude, appreciation, how does that mix in? Because for me, that feels like a high priority and I'm not great at that. So things that are things that don't meet those criteria tend to get too high up on my to-do list of anxiety provokers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think we can probably all aspire to do that differently. 100%. Um, and I think it's, it's twofold. It's taking the time to be grateful for what you have. Um, but what is that actually, day. right? We say that and mm -hmm. I hate platitudes. I'm very transparent about that. So what does that yeah. actually mean? Are we talking tangible goods? Are we talking people around us? Are we talking, and yeah. it'll be different for everybody, but what is that? I think it's all of those things. And I think, especially in medicine every day, there's always a harsh reminder to be so thankful for your health or that you can be seen for your health or that, you know, someone who you can curbside for your health and, just having access to care for family, family members, or the health of family members. Um, so that's a daily gratitude that's nicely built into medicine. There's always somebody, everybody in the hospital is having a worse day than we are. Um, so that's a, a really good reminder that's built in. Um, and then I think even like what we were saying, being grateful about what you actually did well and did accomplish versus just beating yourself up. Um, and then 
what are you grateful for that you're doing? What, what at work makes you feel fulfilled or what interactions with who make you feel fulfilled? You know, for me, it's connecting with patients, with the OR team, um, actually feeling like, like we connect as people, but then also as a, a healthcare team and, and patient who's also part of the healthcare team. And then, and then moving outward from there, being really grateful that I have great colleagues and great resources at our hospital, being grateful that I had amazing training and residency, um, being grateful that I have a family that supports me in doing this job with a very wild schedule. I think there's a lot of room for gratitude and, and maybe a lot of us have it, but we're just not calling it up to the surface every day. Um, but I do get frustrated when I'm around people who are constantly complaining. Do you keep uh, an archive? Do you keep sort of a mental Rolodex of cases that you've done? Good, bad, mm. and otherwise? I do. I used to write all of them down. Yeah. Um, and I, kind of stopped that with with kids and I would take notes on them and I still will take notes on particularly challenging cases or, or ones that taught I mean every case teaches you a little something new but then there are the cases that change your practice and as you move on in practice as I'm sure most of us can relate to it's not so much the medical stuff that changes your practice anymore or the diagnoses but rather how you interacted with people or interacted with the team I learn a lot more psychosocially on a day-to-day basis now. Um, but I, I keep a Rolodex. They're, they're the ones you'll never forget for good or bad reasons. Um, or for, you know, there are some that are funny patients who said something just completely hilarious or charming to you. But yeah, I, I, the Rolodex, no, it's more like a sloppy series of watercolors now. I think. <laughs> I think I left my paints out and they dried up, so I don't even have that. <laughs> but they, it's all like you know provokes emotion. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Um, gosh, who was it? Someone tweeted recently how a, a, anytime they have a code, they start remembering other codes. Maybe it was. I want to say it's like Mick, um, Mick Sassy MD, Sass MD. How every code kind of evokes this emotion. And, and for me, every code, which knock on wood, you know, it isn't too often, but that's when you go through your hall of fame, like you kind of spiral out for a week thinking about all the things that have happened. Um, you know, we, we know there's risk with surgery. We know there's risk with medicine. I mean, heck, we know even, you know, people in palliative care, you know, patients will pass away. Um, so I, there are times when those series of thoughts get, get let loose. <laughs> it's interesting. Cause I think this career does lend itself in a way to that emphasis of things being let loose that are negative in mm-hmm. our work. It just, it happens so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some conditioning to that. And, and I would say if you're predisposed to it coming into this work, it's a real challenge. And then those negative voices like you and I were talking about earlier, you know, trying to have a relationship with them as opposed to letting them beat you up. Right. Uh, It definitely does build on itself and it can make this career in medicine. It can make it really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to see a stages of grief study done as it pertains to 
the healthcare team. I think that that's why physicians like Twitter so much Mm -hmm. is because Mm -hmm. I like it because there is that camaraderie around sharing these foibles and realizing, Mm -hmm. wow, there's this huge group of many, many thousands of people and they all feel exactly the same way. This is, this can be brutal. It can be amazing, but it's really difficult sometimes. Yeah. And it can be as simple as someone, um, one of our ER colleagues recently just posted a tweet of, you know, this was one of those kinds of days. Yeah, totally. And everyone's like, gotcha. Yep. And everyone just jumps out like, yes, yes. Are you okay? Yeah, totally. And I I know. And you just kind of feel that. Oh, it's funny though, because I don't share that stuff on on Twitter at all. Yeah, I I tend to not. Um, My bad days are mine. Exactly. I, or I, like I, maybe I, you share that you had a bad day five years ago and I yeah, right. share it, but, I, but I don't do anything, um, uh, in, I don't, how do you say in sync with time? Like, oh, I don't totally. do yeah, no, no, uh, agreed. Yeah. Like if I were to be, feel comfortable posting about a case, which I probably wouldn't, it would be from years and years ago or never on the day of yeah. or the week of, or things like that. Um, but I, I, I had a medical student yesterday ask me about, you know, anesthesia, and <laughs> I appreciated it. They were very blunt, and they said, so how do you deal with it when you have a death? I was like, oh, okay. It's <laughs> a perfectly valid question, and I'm just totally going to go valid. and vibrate for a minute. <laughs> it doesn't happen a lot. Don't yeah. be scared of this career. Yeah. Um, but if you do enough trauma, if you do enough of these cases that are, that are high stakes, you certainly will see it. It's inevitable. Um, and there are bad things that happen that you didn't see coming, but basically what it boiled down to is I said, you have to have community. Um, you go over it and over it. It's a lot of storytelling, like retelling the narrative, sharing with people. Um, they share their stories with you and eventually you kind of rework, uh, rework it and understand what happened and find find camaraderie and other people who, who kind of validate you um, and tell you you're okay and you can still do this. Um, but then, you know, first there's a process of, what did, what did they say? They asked me if I, what do I, do I ever feel like it's my fault? And I said, well, I think all of us feel like it's our fault every single time. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, that's, we're, we're in this business to, I, I mean, anesthesia being blamed for everything, that's a, a joke and all <laughs> It's it's a minefield of self-flagellation, and I think that yes, that might be all. part of the allure of this profession in some way. I don't know if that's the oh, right way to yeah. frame it, but boy, if you if you like beating up on yourself, medicine's mm-hmm. the place to go. Oh my gosh, I couldn't have said it better. Yes, it's a it's a good way to outsource those things you would have done for yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm laughing and crying at the same time. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I know. Oh, it was well, that whole thing of like getting your monsters out of the closet. Oh like, man. Yeah. You know, just outsource. We we got it. That's why no one can really hurt my feelings. There's nothing I'm gonna that they're gonna say to me that's worse than anything I'd say to myself. <laughs> so. I think that's the quote that's gonna go up on the on the, <laughs> on the website as the pulled quote from this episode. Because that's that's true, man. Uh, and I think circling back to kind of where we were at the beginning is mm-hmm. why there are certain voices on Twitter, you being one of them that really resonate and that people mm-hmm. look forward to and get retweeted a lot. And I like that it's a, it's a growing group. I like that it's 
a diverse group. I like that it's people from all different fields who approach things in different ways, but mm-hmm. maybe it, maybe part of it is that it just lets you clip another piece of armor on against the internal voices that you know are just going to hammer you. Right, right. Or just for someone else to say, I feel that way too. Yeah. It's so nice to, I mean, not nice for them. And I'm sorry that everybody feels this way, but it's also really nice that we can all kind of connect on it. And then at the same time, I love what I do. Love it so much. Love it. I don't want to stop. I no, never, never. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think someone asked me once, well, you know, this is such a hard career. You're so stressed out. What, what would you do? Like, no, I would have this level of stress if I were sitting at home sewing quilts and selling them on Etsy, yeah. I would put something else on that same anxiety shelf. So it's nice to put something on there that, you know, actually is appropriate. And it kind of offloads the rest of my life from the experiencing Alex Anderson, this anxiety. The Alex Anderson quilt sewing Twitter feed <laughs> would be premium actually, content. I think there is an Alexandra Anderson that's a quilter. Oh, I is really there? do. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> My alter ego. I was going to say. Um, but no, I think, uh, you know, I would be just as anxious if I were sending yeah. someone a, a painting that I made and uh, via mail that it would not arrive on time. Well, you mentioned that you you mentioned that you feel anxious when you put, when you write things. Do you feel yes. more anxious when you are preparing to do liver transplantation anesthesia or when you're getting prepared to, prepared to submit a creative effort that you've put together for a journal or for publication or for Twitter or something like that? Mm, it's different um, because livers or any big case are always the same type of anxiety. And this is something I think a lot of us who have been in medicine for a while, at first you're afraid you won't know what to do or that you'll miss something. But then you kind of realize, oh no, I'm always afraid and I'm always nervous, but it's more that I'm just afraid I'm going to have to do what I know how to do. Um, or I'm, I'm nervous that I'm going to have to recognize something I know how to recognize. What is the best part of liver transplant anesthesia? Uh, there's a real magical factor in there that I, that I think, um, the trust of the patient, the hope that you see for the patient and their family, and then the teamwork that happens in that room with, you know, the scrub techs, the circulators, the surgeons, our anesthesia team, um, the perfusionist, all the teams that worked up this patient, it's multidisciplinary. They go through panels. They go through so much education to get to this day. And our transplant patients are on call for as long as they're on the list. So they may come running in like, oh, I was, you know, having a donut with my grandchild this morning or you know, who knows. Right. And so there's this like, oh, we've all been waiting for this. We're here. We are all so ready. Um, and then there's just a magic, you know, like, I'm so happy for you. Today is here. You can stop waiting. This is scary, but but every day has been scary for you. And every day has been uncertain for you. So I, I really enjoy that moment of magic where you're kind of all jumping out of the airplane together. If that's and I'm not I'm afraid of heights. I'm not a risk taker. <laughs> I'm risk averse. I'm not an adrenaline you- seeker. 
<laughs> how can you say that when you do when you do what you do? Because for everybody else on the planet, what you just described mm-hmm. is risk taking. It is jumping out of an airplane. It's extraordinarily yeah. difficult, dangerous. What all? It's incredible, and obviously that's why we all keep coming back to do what we do because we love it. But mm-hmm. you are all of those things, right? The fact that you know you need to get the inner voice more drunk because it's still telling you that you're not those mm-hmm. things when in reality you are them to the nth degree. I think because it's a team endeavor though, and because there's so much preparation and so much practice for it and you're not alone and you're doing it for someone else. And I, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit different. I can't take credit for feeling brave in those situations because I mean, I, I don't know if I could be the surgeon. <laughs> I don't know if I could be, I, I don't know. I, um, it's different. There's kind of safety in predictability and preparation and repetition um, so that it's not so scary. Now, if it were something that I'd written for the first time or if I were going on stage to perform something, that's totally different because I have no guarantee that I'm doing everything right when it's a creative endeavor. But at least with medicine, I think what really appeals to me is there's a creative element to it. There's an art in how you connect with people, how you talk to patients, how you navigate um, the care you give. But then the rest of it is like super science. Like someone tells you exactly how to become a doctor, how to get through medical school. You take all the courses and then there's a guarantee that you're going to meet a standard, like follow a recipe. I don't need to invent anything. So I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you right where you live. Are you ready? Uh oh. <laughs> Are the Beastie Boys any less awesome because they took the stage over and over and over, did it the same way every time, thrilled the crowds every time, sang the same songs, rapped the same rhymes? Are they any less great? Is what they achieved and the impact that they've had on you and me and my sister and our generation and my wife and all the people that love them, is it diminished in any way? Because they followed a pattern and they practiced and they rehearsed and they were part of a team. Does it make it any less so? They did it different every time. Google Shake Your Rump Live versions. There's always something in there that's new. If we could Google... (laughs) <laughs> mayo liver transplant 2019 they would all be different too and i'm yeah, not saying this to subtract okay. from what you're saying but as someone who does not do liver transplant anesthesia and someone who mm-hmm. loves this stuff and i think that we all will elevate others and sometimes when we do that we'll push ourselves down because i do the same thing but like as mm-hmm. you were saying that night you know the there's just that we, we all need this skill. And I think that this is one of the things about your writing that people love so much is it, it levels the ground a little bit when we're all pushing ourselves down and elevating others almost reflexively. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you share the way you do, it, it just allows us to all kind of gather in that space and be like, Oh, you're here too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. <laughs> all right. It's fair. I, I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it's fair. It's it, it's fun though. Or no, I should say that's reasonable. It's reasonable. All right, even better. And I'm sorry that I had to bring up the Beastie Boys in that way. But I know. How dare you? It's it's you know how it illustrates you? the point. It illustrates the point. <laughs> Do you ever play them in the OR? 
Um, no, I, no, sometimes I, I, I usually do. It's either Beastie Boys or Led Zeppelin or sometimes Nirvana when I'm going in or sometimes Tegan and Sarah. Um, and then in the OR, no, sometimes when I was setting up my room, I would, I would play Beastie Boys or there was a transplant surgeon at Cedars and, and we shared the same taste in music. So we'd play it while we were getting ready. So as you think about this road that you've been on in, in sharing your journey, what mm-hmm. do you want to do with it next? Do you think about it in that way? Do you think about, right? Does the inner voice tell you, well, now you have to keep getting better. You have to do things differently. Or is this, you know what? I like doing it this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. What do you, what do you think you're going to do with your voice as mother, woman, physician in this world of social media as your profile continues to grow? Mm, I think what I'd like to do is focus a little more. And this is probably because I finished the audiobook existentialism, this or essentialism, sorry, Freudian slip um, <laughs> this morning in the car. But I really do want to cultivate meaning and purpose with every single thing I do and stop feeling beholden to all these things that are really just noise and not necessary for my quality of life or the quality of life of others. So I think, uh, I I've been doing okay so far. I think I need to whittle down what's actually essential for me. Kind of going back to that skin care tweet. It was like, oh, I don't need all this. I just need to go to bed with a couple things. And so I think going forward, I want to pick what I want to go all in on. Um, and I love connecting with people, which ties well to education and well-being. But it also just ties into going to work and being a team player. That's rewarding, and I find reward in that. Um, and I want to focus on my family and making sure I'm present in the moment with them whenever I'm with them. And then there's the whole, you know, the 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 space, the explore the space in between work and family. And what am I? Who am I? What do I like doing? Um, but I actually get a lot of inspiration for that from other people, um, and seeing how they connect and and find their joy. Um, I'm reading residency applications now and just seeing like hobbies and interests like, Oh wow. What would I put in that section? Yeah. (laughs) Mine would be like work, trying to get my kids to eat dinner, putting kids to bed. I think we all need to spend a little moment and I don't know because this would cut in on my Netflix time (laughs) (laughs) which is important time (laughs) like do I sit down well this is actually Hulu but do I sit down and watch an episode of The Mick or do I try to write something or think or draw something and I think we all know the better answer but I also think we all know I'm going to watch The Mick because it's hilarious I don't know, I, but I would like to kind of be more conscious in those moments where I actually do have a choice with what I'm going to do with myself because all of us in, in busy in life, busy with work, busy with family, busy with all of our obligations, we very rarely get these moments where it's, what do I want to do right now? <laughs> well, as we go forward, we will be following your journey because it will be a fun and interesting one, and I hope that it will help inform our journeys as well of us figuring those same things out because it adds to what we get to be thankful for. It adds to 
having fun. It adds to feeling challenged. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but I think that that's a great approach. And I, I'm delighted to continue to follow along and see your profile grow and see your impact grow because it's valuable stuff. Well, I am so grateful to have our med Twitter and just Twitter community. I think you were one of the first people I started following and you're just so welcoming and inspiring. And I think your voice is always amplifying people and speaking positively, but also is always a call to action in many respects. And then is also a voice that always makes people feel less alone. And I think that's, that's a way that we can all do these things or find these moments that are so hard to do in our busy schedules is, you know, on Twitter, we get to tweet about our lives, tweet about work, and then tweet about just the, the nonsense in between. And I think we can all connect there at least, even if we can't all get in a room and hang out. (laughs) That is a compliment that I will graciously accept. Thank you. (laughs) And someday there will be the Epic Twitter hangout and that will be a lot of fun. This was great. Oh my gosh. This was awesome. I'm so glad you came on. Thank you so much for, for, sharing the way you do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I will look forward to figuring out a time and a way to have you come back on the show. We will hopefully record in person someday, but Alex, this was a total treat. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you for holding the space for our multiple dimensions in healthcare. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.